Welcome to the American Dream in the Eyes of Immigrants podcast. I am your host, Heidi De La Cruz, and I am on the mission to change the narrative of immigration, one immigrant story at a time. Welcome back, you guys, to another episode of the American Dream in the Eyes of Immigrants podcast. I am your host, Heidi De La Cruz, and I am on the mission to change the narrative of immigration, one immigrant story at a time. However, I am starting a new segment, which is Allies of Immigrants. So I am starting to um, interview those who have helped immigrants in any capacity and share their story um, as to why it's important to them and, and what they do. So my first guest for this segment is Joanne, and Joanne and I connected on the Facebook group Women of Welcome. And if you've heard any episodes before, you know that I've talked about Women of Welcome, what their mission is and everything. And I, it's just an amazing group that really provides biblical aspect, um, biblical narrative of how we should handle immigration. So um, Joanne and I connected there and we talked about her work as being an immigration specialist, which I thought was really cool because I had no idea that you could even do that. So she told me a little bit about her work and how she got into it. And I just felt like she was the perfect guest for this segment. So welcome Joanne to the show. Thank you. I'm excited to be here and thank you for inviting me because I love opportunities to share about all of this. Yes, I am so happy that you said yes to doing this and so happy that we were able to connect. And so um, just let's get started with you sharing a little bit of information about you, who you are and how you got into the space. Sure. So um, my name is Joanne McAfee and I live in Delaware on the East Coast. And my husband is actually a Mexican, um, I'm sorry, he was born in Mexico. I always, I always say um, national, a Mexican national, but he hates when I say that. So sorry about that. Um, I'm trying to correct myself. So anyway, born in Mexico, came here when he was 12. Um, so I had a lot of really up close um, insight just from being, you know, married into his family as to what it looked like when, you know, you were um, new to this country. I actually got to ask him a lot of questions about, especially what it was like to be like a preteen coming into the country and um, not knowing any English. And, you know, he, he tells me, well, I learned a lot of English from SpongeBob. And I'm like, yeah, don't tell people that. <laughs> that that's not as cool as you think it is. Um, <laughs> So um, just, you know, hearing the story of his family and um, why they needed to come, things were really dangerous. They lived in a border town. Um, and so that kind of connected me as far as like just realizing that um, that people do have very specific reasons why they need to leave where they are and that it's heartbreaking for them. You know, it's not like they just one day wake up and go, you know, I think I want to go to the US, you know? <laughs> yeah. So um, so that kind of gave me some insight. Um, and then I actually went with Women of Welcome to the border in 2019. And that was, um, it was probably like maybe almost a year into like the zero tolerance policy, a lot of family separation. Um, and I just, 
I wanted to go to see for myself because I knew that the things that I was hearing on the news did not line up with what I knew of my husband's family or anyone else that I knew from another country, to be honest. So I just was like, I'm going to go. I want to see for myself. I want to bear witness. I want to, you know, hear the stories. And um, and also, I interviewed anybody that would talk to me in El Paso, Texas. I wanted to know, like, what is it like to live on a border town? And, you know, what are your concerns? And do you see things that make you feel unsafe? Or, you know, what do you think? And it was just, it was an amazing trip. Because, um, you know, I got to hear a lot of different perspectives, but overall, um, they, they really loved living in a border town. They loved having an international city and they, you know, often said, this is what we've always known. This is how we function. We love it. You know, we don't really see a whole lot of like craziness on this side. Now, of course, they would say like, yes, we're, we're becoming overwhelmed with people that are coming in, but um, that's just because we weren't, we're not really prepared to handle large groups of people like that. So um, I, the reason I decided to um, go to immigration law school was because when I was there, I realized that there are very few asylum seekers that have um, legal representation and that most of them do not win their cases, even though they should, like they meet all the criteria legally, but they don't know how to represent themselves well. So I thought, how do I, how, how, what part can I play in making that better? So I decided to go to, um, to Villanova and I did their program. They're one of, you know, several different programs that people can do that want to do this kind of work. Um, but, and I'm still in the process actually of getting full accreditation, but right now I just have partial. So I'm able to help people with family-based, but when I do encounter asylum seekers now, um, I usually will refer them to a lawyer. I'll help them. Like if they're in my community, I try to help them get set up with like sources for food, people that help pay rent, like things like that. So, yeah, well, that's. It's a, it's a very uh, challenging work, I'm assuming. It is. And I, I tell people all the time, you know, Mr. Rogers used to say, look for the helpers. Yeah. Um, in this space, there are so many heartbreaking and heavy stories that you hear all the time. And even legally, there are, you know, there are a lot more losses than there are wins. And so the only way to keep yourself balanced and, and not wanting to give up <laughs> in this is, is to be really intentional about looking for the helpers. There are so many people that are working in this space that are doing amazing work, who are advocating or legally, um, you know, lobbying or just, you know, offering pro bono services to children that, you know, come across unaccompanied or, you know, there, there are thousands of organizations. And so I just, I really try to keep in touch with the ones that I actually have touched personally from being at the border, but also um, just different ones that I got to know. Because when I worked for Women of Welcome for a year after we came back from the border, um, I did get to connect with a pretty wide network of people that were, you know, working in this space. Yeah. And so would you say that um, 
if you had not gone to the border in 2019, do you think you would be doing this type of work? Or do you think like just seeing the impact from going and seeing it firsthand, do you think like that really sparked in you to do this, to get into this? It's really funny because I get asked that a lot. (laughs) Um, I honestly think that I would have been driven to do something. I don't know that it would have looked exactly as it does now. I don't know that I would have gone like the legal route. I may have just um, tried to reach out within my own community to, you know, to be more in touch with people um, and to build those bridges and to try to find resources, you know, for, because they are probably the most underserved in our community, you know, so. Yeah, no, I hear you. I have, I've also wrestled as to like, what part am I going to play into this? Because I, in 2019, actually, I actually took the LSAT to try to go into law school to be an immigration attorney. Now, at the time I was, you know, doing, finishing up my master's. So my cousin who was going to law school, he was like, you can't do both. You can't do your master's and try to study for the LSAT because you need the time that you're taking for your master's is the time that you need to take to study. So obviously I didn't do as good as I wanted to on the LSAT. So I got discouraged and, you know, every once in a while I was like, man, like I, I kind of, you know, try to help. Like I want to be an attorney to like help and everything, but then Sometimes I'm just like, what else can I do besides being an attorney to be able to help? And then obviously, like God created this whole podcast to be able to provide voices for immigrants to share their story, to change the narrative. So um, I'm like, okay, but then sometimes I just feel like I'm not doing enough. You know, like I'm like, sometimes I'm like, this podcast is not enough. I need to do more. Oh, I think the podcast is amazing. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, But yeah, so coming across to your post on Woven a Welcome when you had mentioned that you got um, certified, partial certified. And so like, I was like, man, like, that's really cool that you are able that this type of work is available without having to go through the whole law school. So can you tell us about the process of getting um, certified? Sure. So um, the, there is a department of its own within USCIS. um, Well, it's actually part of EOIR, the the immigration um, uh, court system, really, that um, decides, it's a group of lawyers that decide on these applications as they come in for people that are applying for accreditation. So what they're looking for is what type of education have you had? Do you have a good basic understanding of how immigration law works? Um, so, you know, where did you get your education? Um, what work experience do you have? Did you do an internship or have you like maybe shadowed a lawyer for a period of time or anything like that? Um, they're really big on continued training. So they want to know that, so like I had finished school in April, but I wasn't actually applying for my accreditation until October. And they were like, so what training have you done in the meantime? And I was like, oh my gosh, I just got through 28 weeks of school. What? (laughs) So so I was just like, okay, I'll I'll find something. But the cool thing is, Clinic is a really good resource because they constantly have different webinars that are going on and they are the Catholic Legal Immigration Network. Um, And they do charge a fee for a lot of their stuff, but some of it is free. Um, But 
usually if you are working for an organization, they're affiliates. So they've paid like the due so that you actually get a reduced fee anyway when you do take their trainings. Um, but they are excellent and they keep everybody up to date on things. Like anytime a new policy comes out, they've got a training on it. Um, so I feel like you could literally go into their website and pick any topic <laughs> in immigration and say, I want to learn about this. And they would have at least a webinar, if not like a full training on it. So that's what they're looking for. Um, they just want to make sure that you're keeping up to date on everything because things change constantly. Yes. And, and basically, when you go into immigration law, it isn't about knowing exactly what every law says. It's really about knowing where to find that information because you're because things do change constantly and knowing where to find the updated information on the federal register. So um, they just are looking at, you know, all of those things and saying, and then you also have to have two recommendations from people who have worked with you. They're looking at, are you um, like, it's like a morally fit or something like that. Like the wording has something to do with like fitness, but it's like a, you know, an ethical thing. So they're, they want to know, like, if we approve this person, are they going to follow the laws themselves or, you know, and, and are they actually in it to help people or so um, it's, it is pretty, um, it, it's tedious to put together your packet and, and it's a little nerve wracking while you're waiting, <laughs> but um, I'm, I am actually grateful that they are as picky as they are because, yeah. you know, yeah. there are people out there that are doing immigration law that are not trained and don't know, you know, really don't know the laws. And unfortunately, people pay them a lot of money. And then sometimes they can end up being deported because the person didn't know what they were doing. Mm -hmm. So yeah, um, I mean, I had a question and now it just escaped me, but hopefully it comes back. <laughs> what is one thing you wish you knew before getting into this field? Um, I wish that I had been a little bit better with um, it's really a personal thing, but I wish that I were better at like not taking on the weight of everything um, because yeah. there is a lot of weight and every client that you have, um, their situation to them is, you know, urgent. And so as you're trying to schedule things and, and make sure that you have enough time to actually do the work and then, you know, sitting down with so many people per week, it's really um, difficult sometimes not to take all of the weight of that on. Yeah. And to be able to be okay with the fact that like I'm one person and I can only do so much and I'm doing the best that I can, you know, I'm, I'm going to give you hundred percent when I sit down with you, but you might have to wait three weeks for that to happen. Like yeah. being okay with the fact that some people are not going to like that answer, <laughs> you know? So, um, but yeah, I think I'm getting a little bit better. It's, and, and yet the other side of that is I don't want to become jaded. Like, I don't want to be this person that doesn't care because, you know, three people gave me an attitude today or whatever, yeah. you know, 
So it's it's one of those things where I just try to um, I try to look at their point of view, because, like I said, their situation, of course, is the most important thing to them right then, Mm -hmm. you know, and I want to be sympathetic to that. And I do want to take care of them in a timely manner. But I also um, in in my past have been a little bit of a pushover. So having to having to be able to set those really good boundaries and say, like, you know, this is what I can do. This is what I can't do. You know, it's your choice. You can take it or leave it. <laughs> exactly. Um, your, I remember the question, but your answer to this just reminded me of, I don't know if you saw the Netflix documentary, Undocumented, I think it was. It came out a few years ago. You saw it? Yeah. And I cried so much during that documentary because it was so heartbreaking. And so I remember like my husband looking over at me, he was like, are you sure you want to be an immigration attorney? Because I don't know if you can handle it emotionally, like the emotional aspect of it, like just like, it was just so heartbreaking to like see the stories, what was happening, what happened to the immigration um, attorney and everything. So it's just, it's, it take, it can take a toll on you emotionally and, that also reminds me, I did have an uh, immigration attorney come on um, in the, uh, like, uh, when I first started the episode, and same thing, he was just like, it's very emotional, like, you know, and, and he's like, I sat in my car sometimes cried, you know, because of the cases and, and the things. So it's like, these, these are the type of things that I want people to know, because these are the, these are not the things that the news is talking about, that the media is talking about. They're, they're not talking about those types of stories. They just have this narrative, very negative, unfortunately. And it's like, these are humans. These are humans with lives, with feelings, with, I mean, um, you know, it's just, they're humans. That's, and that's just how we need to see them. We need to see them as, uh, God, uh, what is it? The image of God. We need to see them as the image of God, just like how we are, how I am, how you are. And yeah, it's very, very heartbreaking, um, these stories. The The question that I remembered was how long was the, um, the accreditation process? I'm sorry to go back to that, but I remember the question. So the accreditation process, unfortunately, under the last administration, um, they had cut a lot of funding to this Mm. department. So they had whittled down to where they were understaffed. And then when they had an influx of people that were trying to get accreditation, they were just backlogged. And so Mm. before I applied, they told us it could take eight or nine months to get your accreditation, Um, which doesn't sound like a really long time to some people, but when you're waiting to be able to like, you know, do the work that you trained for um, and you have to like put everything through someone else to have it checked and put it under their name and number for representation, um, it gets, you know, it's frustrating. But for me, I applied in October and I received my accreditation the end of January. So it wasn't that bad. Yeah, but they had high. We actually in in uh, Vista with Villanova, we had um, advocated for more funds for them so that they could hire more lawyers to come in and, and work. So I think it worked. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And someone who's interested in getting into this type of work, what does your day-to-day look like? 
Um, so it's very unpredictable. Um, and that's also something that I struggle with a little bit because I have ADHD. So I like lists and I like plans and I, cause I have to accommodate myself or else I'll be all over the place. Yeah. So what happens is I might say, okay, I have, you know, two or three appointments today at whatever times in between that, I'm going to work on this, this, and this every day I have a list and I check my stuff off as I, you know, go through it so that I make sure that I'm not forgetting anything. But in the meantime, you're going to probably get anywhere from two to 10 calls a day of other people who either have questions or they want to set an appointment or they need help with something. They need you to refer them somewhere. And so those calls can you know sometimes they're just a few minutes and sometimes they're an hour so it you know it's it's just unpredictable and um I have had to really learn to go with the flow and to accept that you know every person is equally important and if they need something that's what I'm here for so I'm going to spend the time with them um but yeah that that gets a little nerve wracking because I love to be able to cross stuff off my list. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Cause then you don't feel like you did anything. It's like, I didn't get anything yeah. done off my list. You're like, those six calls were not on the list. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Dang it. Um, why do you, why do you think this type of work is important or why is it important for you personally? Um, well, I think that my biggest, um, I guess, motivator for, for educating myself initially was that there's so much misinformation and most people, and, and I have to say, I, even though it's really easy to come down on people and say, well, they don't know what they're talking about or whatever. Most people don't have proximity to someone who is going through the immigration process people that have really strong opinions about it are really not educated on it. So what's happening is they don't have any reason to research it. They don't have anybody in their life that is a good source to give them real information. So they're listening to other people who are talking about it, spreading misinformation, and they're just assuming that it's correct. You know, so then they react to misinformation and then it becomes this like emotionally charged thing. So I try to be really patient with people because I know that they they don't know what they don't know, you know. So um, but I think that it's, it is important, one, to have the education so that I can help to educate people who who want to learn. Not everyone wants to learn. <laughs> But, <laughs> um, and I try to be respectful of that too, because I'll, you know, I'll say, do you mind if I share, you know, and if people are like, I don't want to hear that. I'm like, okay, good. Then neither of us wasted our time. But um, yeah, it's, it, it's important to know. And then it's also um, important to have the education if you want to advocate, because how do we know what needs to be changed unless we know what it is right now, you know? And then I also, you know, when I come to the table to advocate, I want to, I want to speak, you know, 
intelligently. I want to be able to say like, you know, well, this policy said this, or, you know, the law says this or whatever, and, and be able to cite my resources and, and, you know, so, um, so all of that has been really great for that, but I, it's also just been amazing because I have always, um, I've always believed that as the human race, we all belong to one another and it doesn't matter where we come from. Um, so I feel as though if we're not connecting with people from other cultures, we're missing out on a lot of opportunities to learn and to just experience a different way of seeing things or you know, they experience things a little differently than we do. And we just have such a um, limited like worldview if, if we're not connecting that way. So I think it's important for building bridges for, you know, um, having a sense of communal responsibility, which we don't have a lot of that in, in this country. Um, and just being able to, you know, choose not to make someone who's different than me, my enemy. So. Oh, that was such a beautiful answer. And just so many things came to mind, especially, you know, uh, I'm a woman of faith and, it, you know, they're, they always talk about how, like, we're called to make disciples, we're called to spread the gospel, um, you know, and it's like, there's always people going on, you hear them going on mission trips, right, to all these other countries to speak about Jesus. And it's like, we have a lot of people from different countries here in our own backyard, in our own community uh, that we can, you know, spread the gospel to. But a lot of people, you know, because of fear of the unknown or just fear of, you know, people looking different or anything or like different cultures, it's like we limit ourselves, you know, like, like you said. And But there are people who don't have in their communities people who look different that's that's another challenge too so like they would have to be intentional to get out of to find people who look different than them to you know to interact and things like that but we should not be afraid of each other we should we shouldn't you know we should just try to be open to learn um open to see things differently different perspective and and that is what one of my guests had mentioned about at first, like that diversity here was kind of like a challenge for her. But then as she grew older and time went on, she realized like what a blessing it was to just have the diversity that we do have here in the United States, just because you can learn so much from so many different cultures and, and, and things and from different people right here, right, right in this great nation. Um, so thank you so much for that answer. That was, that was so beautiful. Perfectly said. <laughs> um, what is one misconception about the immigration process that you hear the most? Um, I would have to say this, this idea of people being allowed in illegally, because when you, whether you come to a port of inspection or you go around and are apprehended by someone, 
there is a legal process in place that that Border Patrol and CBP are following. So they are bound to follow the process as you know, as it states in their whatever policy books. Um, so they're processing according to the law as far as like allowing people to come in. I've heard a lot of people say, you know, um, for instance, I heard, I don't even remember his name, so I couldn't tell you, but I was watching Congress talk about immigration maybe a couple of weeks ago. And one of the gentlemen was saying that the Secretary of Homeland Security does not have the authority to allow all these people to have parole at the same time. But so I went and looked up the law <laughs> because I was like, I'm pretty sure he does, but let me go check, you know? Yeah, so, yeah. Um, and it absolutely says that it is up to his discretion. And so the problem is that they're thinking that parole should only be given on a, on a case-by-case basis. And, and that's true to an extent, but what's happening is you're having thousands of people come from Haiti, okay? Haiti right now falls under temporary protected status. So if they come to the border, they are allowed to come in and be paroled for one year. Within that year, if they don't apply for anything, they're supposed to leave. What people also don't understand is that regardless of um, what you fall under, if you're admitted to the country under parole, you are also immediately put into removal proceedings. They give you a notice to appear in court as well. And so if you don't get the ball rolling by applying for something, you are removable, right? So it's like, it's like come on in, but we're gonna kick you out. So, but come on in. Um, so, and I don't think people understand that. I think that they literally think that we just like have swung the, the doors wide open mm -hmm. and we're just like, everybody come, it's okay, no problem, you know, right? <laughs> and so, um, but I, and I think that if more people understood you know, the law and how it works and, and what it says they're allowed to, to have and not to have. Um, one, I think it probably would put people a little more at ease because it isn't as, as free and like whatever as people think it is. Um, but also it, I really would love to like not hear people called illegals because I don't believe that a person can be illegal. Like yes. your action is either illegal or not illegal, but like you as a person cannot be illegal in my opinion. Yes. Um, so when people come and they're, they're paroled in, it is because they fall under usually some type of a humanitarian program, whether it's asylum, um, whether they're a refugee or whether they are getting temporary protected status. Um, or any other program that falls under humanitarian, like the Ukraines have their own program, the Afghanistans have their own program. Um, you know, so it just depends on what country they're from. But yes, as someone who's coming from that country to our border, if they show their documents and they fall under that, Border Patrol and CPP are going to admit them because that is what the law says. So. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Sorry, that was really long-winded, but it's just so frustrating because, you know, I hear people and and if 
if we were doing that, if we were just saying like, okay, anybody can come in and we're not even going to check anybody, nobody's going to be vetted. Of course, that would be terrifying. Yeah, you know, so this is what they're responding that. to. Right. Yeah, Nobody does want, want that. that. You're right. <laughs> Nobody wants that. Because, you know, there's good and there's good people and there's bad people. We know that from everywhere. Right. And it's like, we don't want just everyone and anyone coming into the country. That is not what we want. But what we do want is for people to be treated as humans, as they are with dignity, with respect, and to be taken their cases serious, you know, like there are, there are countries you know, where it is dangerous to, to live. And there are countries where it is even dangerous to have a certain faith, you know, like a lot of people can't even practice their their certain faith. And they, you know, that is a reason that they can come here. If they really feel like if they are in danger, you know, um, for being practicing their faith, like that is a reason that they can come and seek asylum here. Um, I saw, I can't remember what the comment said exactly. But I ended up looking um, to see which country actually admits the most, I think, refugees. And I found a list of like the top 10 countries that have like the most refugees. And you know that the United States was not even in the top 10? That does not surprise me. Yeah. So I was like, wow, this person's comment is completely like you know so I looked at I will try to find that um article and post it in the show notes because I found that really interesting I was like wow the United States is not even the top 10 countries that accepts that has the most refugees so it's very um not contradicting but like very yeah well contradicting to what beliefs or like what is being spread it's like that we have these open borders and just everyone is here and and coming and accepted and it's like we're not you're we're not even in the top 10 guys so right. yeah so I found that very interesting something else that I just wanted to say really quickly is what what you were saying about how you know as people of faith like we're taught that we're supposed to you know share our faith and spread the gospel and make disciples and all of that Something else that really hit me when I went to the border was the fact that most of the people that were coming from Central America were people of faith as well. Thank you. Yes. And I was like, their faith puts my faith to shame because I have not walked through near what they have. And not to say that I would want to, but I feel as though in our country, you know, we have it pretty good and we're a little on the spoiled side. So like when things don't go well, sometimes we get a little bit of an attitude with God and they walked through way worse than I, you know, ever probably will. And they still held on to the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God. And it just blew me away. Yeah. I I believe the majority or like the main religion in um central america is catholic like the majority yes are catholic. i so, think so too yes so you know me having a hispanic background um my parents are catholic i don't practice any religion but you know my family overall we all believe in god um but it is faith plays a big part in the Hispanic community and like how they live their life, the choices that they make and things like that. So 
Thank you for saying that because this is very, very true. Um, the majority of people that come from Central America, like they are, you know, full on believers of God and very big on their faith and, and things like that. And I think, I think there was a question that Women of Welcome had put out asking, like, what if the people who are coming or some people who are coming are coming because they're following what God is telling, like, God is telling them where to go, right? What if that yeah. they're following, you know, what God is telling? And I was like, that is, that is. A they're missionaries to us. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. So I was like, that is, that is very interesting. Like I had not even, you know, thought about that. It's like not even just running for their lives. It's like, what if God is calling them to come to the, to the United States, you know? So that yeah. is, that is a question to ponder on guys. <laughs> yes, for um, sure. I would like. Uh, or if you can provide encouragement to someone who may be interested in getting into this realm in the whole immigration or wants to start advocating, just like, you know, just some encouragement for that person. So the schooling part of it, um, it can be a lot, especially if you're working full time, but I will say that the that every program that is out there is doable because it doesn't last forever. Um, it's a season and, you know, you work really hard for that season and then, you know, the reward comes and you're like, okay, I finished it. And I am over 50. So um, if I can do it, <laughs> oh yes, gosh, I am. Yes. And so no I am. So my brain, like, you know, I, I thought to myself, how am I going to do this? Like the law is so complicated, but once I got in it and because I loved it so much and I, you know, that is where my passion lies. So I just ate it all up and it was so good. Um, so for people that are feeling like, you know, this is where their passion is and they want to know how to, you know, better help or, or better advocate. It's definitely something that I, I would encourage anybody to do it, honestly, because even if you don't go this route, there's a lot of other things that you can do with it. Um, I would also say that it's very much needed because in the United States, there are less than 12,000 immigration lawyers, and there are only about 2,400 accredited representatives. Wow. So that means nationally, for every person who is qualified to do this work, there's about 1,460 people that need services. And this is why it's backlogged. Yes. There's not enough people working in this realm. Wow. Right. And even with USCIS, you know, they're getting millions of applications a day. Yes. Yes. And like, they're trying to get through them as quickly as they can. And, and they still feel like they need to add more people, you know, to be able to deal with the backlog. So, yeah. And of course, it's not slowing down, you know, because we do have more people that are coming every day. So if we don't have the people doing the work in the middle, it's like, how how do we ever get on top of it? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Um, I believe I, I mentioned it in another episode before, but I know a family who um, are seeking asylum and they waited seven years to be seen by immigration uh, judge to hear their case. And then now they have to wait. It could be up to two more years to just get the answer. Um, and so in that time period, they can't leave the country. 
So like they can't see family, like they, you know, they, they're just kind of stuck in limbo pretty much, like not yeah. knowing if they're going to be able to stay or not. Like, and that's almost a decade, just waiting for the case and then two more years to just get an answer. So yes, people, it is very, very backlogged. So if you feel a fire or very passionate to get into this realm, we need you. We yes, yes go for it. Please. Um, we need all the help we can get. <laughs> Please come do the work. We do. All right. Um, Joanne, the last question that I have for you before we wrap this up is how do you think the American dream differs between immigrants and native born Americans? I I don't really think it differs. I think that we all want you know good lives for our kids i think we all want to be able to pay our bills and put food on the table um i think we all would like to be able to you know go to sleep at night knowing that we have a little bit of money in the bank in case an emergency comes up um and i think that that's where um you know, people like to fill in the blanks and guess what other people's intentions are. Um, and a lot of times we don't, we don't have those conversations to actually know. So it's, it's really, um, we have so much more in common than we have that's different, you know? So I think that if people could you know, humanize others, like you're saying, um, and realize that they are exactly the same goals and dreams and desires um, that we have. It's, it's not hard to see why they would want to come to a place that has plenty of work, that has, you know, yes, like if you qualify for it, you might get free medical, you know, like that. there are things that people need to be able to take care of their families. And I feel as though, especially within this country, you know, none of us are actually from here except for the Native Americans. So well, we for, people forget- <laughs> A whole other topic, right? <laughs> That's loaded in itself. Yeah. But, you know, so I, I feel like none of us, um, should be laying claim to these things as though, you know, they're mine and I have to keep them for myself. Like they're there for people that need them. And I mean, I have been in, I've been in both positions. I have been in the position where like I had to have food stamps to feed my kids. And I've been in a position where I had plenty of money in the bank to help somebody else with groceries, you know? So I just think that, um, I don't know. I don't know what it's going to take to help people to like bridge the gap other than just like what you're doing, sharing people's stories and helping to get that kind of information out there so that people will hear it and be like, well, I relate to that. You know, like maybe I don't relate to what I think is going on at the border, but I relate to this mom who has a sick kid who, you know, needed to come because there was a specialist here that could save their life or whatever, you know, like whatever the situation is, but yeah, I don't think, I don't think it's different. I think we all dream this, you know, the same important things. Oh, that's beautiful. So beautiful. Ah, oh, so many things came to mind, um, especially the part that we're more the same than what we are different because I've, um, 
I've gotten a question. I, you know, I do, I, I am guests sometimes on podcasts who share about my podcast and they have asked me like, what is one thing that you've learned with listening to like all these stories? And I'm like, honestly, it's that we are more alike than what we are different. Like just listening to, even though there's like so many different cultures and different backgrounds and things like that, but it's like, believe it or not, like a lot of the guests have similar answers to the, the questions that I asked them. And it's just reminds me like we are more alike than what we are different. And you cited too. And it just reminds my, reminds me that at the end of the day, we're all children of God and we're all here temporarily. Like you said, like we, we try to say like, no, this is our country and our land and everything, but it's like, this is all temporary, you know? And why not try to live a life peacefully and loving and just try to help wherever we can in the the small amount of time that we have here, you know? So Joanne, thank you so much for this, for sharing your work, for sharing your heart and for sharing just what you're doing. Um, I pray for you. I pray for, you know, what you're doing. Um, just thank you so much for sharing and God bless you tremendously. Thank you. Thank you. You as well. Thanks, Heidi. Appreciate it.